Let's grab our Bibles this morning. We're going to be in the book of Philippians, chapter number one, as we're continuing our series, Joy in a Box. We're looking at this letter, this epistle that's written by the Apostle Paul while he's in prison. He's been imprisoned wrongfully as he's been preaching the gospel. And out of this circumstance, great joy still flows from his ministry. We see that evidenced in, in how he writes to this church at Philippi. And I'm excited to continue to dig in with you in this passage this morning, Philippians chapter number one. We're going to look at gospel fellowship and joy. Gospel fellowship, we're going to look at what that means and how it relates to the joy that we have in the Lord. So in Philippians chapter number one, we're going to begin reading with verse number three this morning. And if you found your place, let's stand together out of respect for the reading of the word of God if you're physically able to do so. Notice with me, verse number three, the Apostle Paul writing, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And notice that there in verse five, he references this, this, this close union, this close relationship, this fellowship that Paul has with this church. And it's a consistent fellowship. It's something he can rely on. These, these people aren't fair-weather friends. They're not in it for what they can get out of Paul. Paul's going through hardship. He's going through difficulty. He's in prison. And yet he feels this very intimate connection with this particular church. We get this sense and we begin to understand what this true gospel fellowship entails, what this true gospel fellowship looks like. And he thanks them for it, for their fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart in as much as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Today we're going to learn about gospel fellowship and joy. How are these connected and why should we seek to have gospel fellowship with our Lord and with each other? So let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit of God to help us this morning. Heavenly Father, we are so glad that we can be gathered together as your people in fellowship with you, in fellowship with each other, and in fellowship with your word. I pray as your word speaks to us this morning that in a very lonely world, in a very distant world, in a very dark, broken, and sinful world, we would have this joy of fellowship. That even though many times we find ourselves being locked in different types of boxes, Lord, our joy won't be able to be locked away. That we will know firmly who you are in our life and that we will have fellowship with your people. So God bless us this morning as we go through this passage, as we learn from the words of the Apostle Paul as you inspired him to give them. And may we apply these truths to our heart, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Gospel fellowship and joy. And, and I want to just start by saying our God is intentional about fellowship. The most popular verse in all of Scripture speaks to the lengths that God desired to go in order to form fellowship with us. Now, he created us, and in creation we were in perfect fellowship with God, but then we sinned, 
And that fellowship was broken. That fellowship died. But Jesus loved us. In fact, it says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. He left heaven's glory to condescend to mankind so that he could form fellowship between us and the Father. He is for our fellowship. From the very beginning of creation, God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will create a help meet for him. He, he created and instituted human fellowship for us here on earth. He's a God of fellowship. How many of you are glad if you're saved today, you can actually walk with God? You can be in fellowship with him. Our God is a God of fellowship. And it's important for us to recognize that. Of course, Paul recognized that. And he references it here in verse number 3. Notice with me what he writes. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul... We learned last week on his second missionary journey, he had the privilege of really seeing this church at Philippi begin. We understand that as he was on his missionary journey, he desired to go further up into Asia Minor. He desired to go further up into Bithynia. But the Bible says that the Holy Spirit of God forbade him from doing it. He closed the door. And we learned that while there are perhaps many things we would desire to do in our life, maybe even many good things that we would desire to do in our life, sometimes God closes the door. Sometimes God says no, and we shouldn't get frustrated by that. We shouldn't become embittered by that. We should trust God. And aren't you glad this morning we have a God we can trust? We have a God that has proved himself. We have a God that has spoken to us the truth, that has given us callings, and we can trust him because he is sovereign over all things. And so Paul listened to the Lord, and because Paul listened to the Lord, the Lord was able to reveal to Paul what his will was for Paul's ministry. In fact, we learned that Paul had a vision, and in his vision, there was a man in Macedonia who said, come over to us. And Paul realized that God, instead of going to the north part of Asia Minor, God was calling him across the way to Macedonia. And so Paul went. He obeyed God. And upon obeying God, he met some ladies down by a river who were praying that God would send somebody to expound to them the word of God. One of those ladies' names was Lydia. She was a seller of purple. She was in the business of dyeing clothes and she had a house and she was able to be hospitable to Paul and his missionary team. So she had them in and Paul developed a headquarters for to preach the gospel there in Philippi. And as he preached the gospel, people got saved. And isn't it awesome when we obey God, when his truth is in us, when we're willing to be where God wants us to be, when we're faithful as witnesses for him, how many of you are glad people get saved? God's still in the business of saving people. God's still in the business of revealing his grace to those who are lost. And he does that through the mechanism of calling us to be his mouthpiece, to be his hands, to be his feet here on earth. And as we obey him, we run into these opportunities to share the gospel with other people. And so this was the beginning of this church at Philippi. Now, Paul is writing this letter of Philippians some 10 years after the formation of this church in Philippi. 
And as he does so, he looks back on his connection with them over this time. And he says, there's something special that we have together, church at Philippi. And how many of you are glad this morning for the special people God has put in your life to have gospel fellowship with? The people who have come alongside of you, they're not fair weather friends. You're going through a difficult time. You're going through good times. They're there. They're there to encourage you. They're there to speak truth to you when you need it. How many of you love those truth telling friends? You know, I'm saying this to you because I love you. All right. And, and, and they're there for you to remind you of God's presence and and these are, these are people that we want connected to us in this gospel fellowship. And the Apostle Paul looks back over this decade and he says, you've been faithful and I go to God with great joy in my heart because of the fellowship and the gospel that we have together. And what a beautiful picture of God's grace and God's family and God's people when we come together in true fellowship. But I love how Paul understands where the genesis of this fellowship comes from. Notice what he says in verse number three. I thank my God. He, of course, was thankful to the church at Philippi. He was thankful to the people who gave to his ministry. He was thankful for the people who prayed for him personally. He was thankful for the manifestation of the presence of God through real people that he could communicate with and be contacted to. But most of all, he understood that all of that fellowship generated from the gospel. It came first and foremost from God. And as a believer, I want to remind you of this truth. All of your closest relationships, all of your closest fellowship should be gospel-centered. It should come, listen to me, as a result of Jesus being first in your life. But you don't understand, Pastor, I love my husband, I love my wife, I love my kids, I love my friends, I even love my church, and all of that is right and good, and you should, but you can very quickly make all of those things an idol when you elevate them above the place of God in your life. You might think to yourself, how can I love anybody more than my husband? Oh, it's possible. How can I love anybody more dearly than my wife? I don't know. How can I love anybody closer than my children? I'm not sure, but I do know this. I know we love others best when we love Jesus first. Because then the love that we have for other people isn't predicated on our own flesh and our own desires and our own whims, but that love is rooted deeply in the one who knows how to love better than anybody. And that's our God who gave himself for everybody. So Paul references the fact that this begins with God. And that's our first point this morning. As we look at gospel fellowship and joy, I want us to understand this. Gospel fellowship is provided by God. The God who designed fellowship, the God who knows we need fellowship, is the God who provides fellowship for you and for me. And I think this is so important to Paul. As he was disconnected from the church, as he was disconnected from normal life, as he was locked up in a prison cell, as he was lonely... I imagine this was a great comfort to know that God was still providing fellowship for him even in his loneliest and darkest moments. And, and I want us to take heart this morning. Do you feel lonely? 
Do you feel rejected? Do you feel like you don't fit in? Do you feel like something's missing? How many of you understand? You can be in a big city around a ton of people and still feel all alone. You can have a million Facebook friends and still not know anybody. And I want you to take heart this morning, believer. God's intention is for you to have fellowship. And his desire is to provide that fellowship for you. If he can provide fellowship to the Apostle Paul in a prison cell, locked away, he can provide fellowship for you and me this morning. And he desires to do so. All fellowship begins, first of all, all gospel fellowship begins with Jesus. Notice how the Apostle John teaches this to us in his epistle in 1 John chapter 1. Notice the verses are on the screen. Notice how he begins to flesh out this truth. All gospel fellowship begins with Jesus. That which was from the beginning, speaking of Jesus, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. This is all speaking about Jesus. For life was manifested. He writes in the Gospel of John, the word Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. He says, we saw him, we beheld him, we saw his glory, we touched him, we felt him. He was real to us. We've seen it, and we bear witness, and we show unto you that eternal life, Jesus, which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. Now, notice how this fellowship connects to this person of Jesus. That which we have seen, and declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And notice this. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. You see, God's intention is to provide us fellowship. It's first provided for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And he desires to provide us fellowship so that our joy might be full. So this is how it works. We come to know Jesus. He saves us and he brings us into fellowship with God. And as we're in fellowship with God and born into his family... And then we can be in fellowship properly with each other. So John writes and he says this. He says, we write these things unto you. We want to bring you into the family of God. We want to share this Jesus with you. We want you to be saved. We want you to be redeemed. We want you to be reconciled. We want you to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. We want you to come from death to life. Why? So you can have fellowship with us. And gospel fellowship is had between true believers. If you know Jesus and I know Jesus, there's no reason that if we are firmly grounded in him and in his truth that we cannot have fellowship with each other. What a wonderful thing that is. All gospel fellowship is centered around the person of Jesus. It begins with the person of Jesus. We know that fellowship is important It was one of the main pillars of activity in the early church. Notice with me Acts chapter 2, verse 42, very common scripture. It's on the screen. This, of course, was the day of Pentecost. The apostle Peter preached the gospel. People heard it in their own language. And as a result, a miraculous salvation occurred. 3,000 souls were added to the church on this specific day. And notice what took place as this church began to form. And they continued steadfastly in the truth, in Jesus, in the apostles' doctrine, in the gospel, 
Gospel fellowship is centered around the truth of the gospel. Doctrine. Hey, let me just say this. Let me stop for a moment. Let me stop for a moment. Church is not a social club. Church is a gospel center. Church is not a social club. Church is a gospel center. A lot of times we cheapen this word fellowship. We think if we get around and share a cheeseburger together, we have fellowship. If we have a cup of coffee together, hey, we just fellowship. Man, that was good fellowship. And, and, and let's be honest, how many of you had some pretty good fellowship around a cheeseburger before? I mean, any good fellowship has food in it, that's for sure. But it's deeper than that. The term fellowship that the Apostle Paul uses in Philippians chapter number one, and the term fellowship that's used these many times throughout the New Testament is the Greek word koinonia. And the Greek word koinonia implies a deeper form of relationship. It's participatory. It's not surface. It's not just casual communication based upon some common point of reference. Koinonia means that we dig in together, that we participate together, that we do life together, that we center our relationship around a common theme, a common purpose, a common calling. And how many of you are glad for us as Christians, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when this early church came together for koinonia, for fellowship, they didn't come together to chat about the Bengals and how horribly they lost in the Super Bowl. <laughs> Just seeing if you're awake this morning, okay? <laughs> I am no prophet, okay? <laughs> so don't, don't be too alarmed. Listen, fellowship doesn't just happen because, you know, a, a common thing happened at our job. or that, That's not what we're talking about when we talk about gospel fellowship. We're talking about a deep relationship that's participatory, where we serve together, we live together, we, we help one another, we lift one another's burdens. And all of it is not premised around our likes, our desires, our preferences. It's premised around the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is, what he's done for us, his gospel, his truth. That is the point of reference for a good, solid relationship. Good, solid koinonia. Good, solid, real fellowship. This early church manifested that in great ways. Their fellowship kept them going. Don't you, don't you realize that if you're being persecuted, if you're losing your job because of your faith, if you're getting beaten, if sometimes people are getting in prison and everything's breaking loose around you, it's good to have some people around you that are going in your same direction. It's good to have some people around you that are praying for you and connected to you and connected to Jesus and helping you anchor in your faith. We all need that fellowship. We learn in the book of Hebrews, there's no verse on the screen for this, that, that this is a calling for us. It's not an option. We're called to that fellowship. We're called to that gathering. We're called to be God's people together. In the book of Hebrews chapter number 10, the Bible tells us, not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but that we are to even meet more so, encouraging, edifying, provoking one another in love as we see that day approaching, the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to say some things right now, and I don't mean them to be cruel. I, I don't think it's unnecessary for them to say this. I believe the Holy Spirit of God is prompting me to say this as your pastor. Uh, for those that are listening online, I, I get that everybody's at a different place. And not everybody's in the same situation. And this might not apply to everybody, but I believe it applies to most. Okay? I'm not judging anybody when I'm saying this. But for two years now, people have been staying out of church. I'm not talking about just, I'm talking about all over the country. 
I'm on the phone with pastors and, and many churches, many churches at best, have about 60% of the people that used to meet together in person back meeting together in person. More likely, it's about 40% of the people meeting back in person that used to meet in person. And I understand some of the reasoning behind that. I understand some of the difficulty that's happened because of the pestilence that we've seen in our, our world. I understand being careful. I understand being cautious. And, and I even understand there needing to be room for that and needing to be patient through that and needing to have a long-suffering spirit through that. But I'm going to firmly say this. If you're going to the grocery store, if you're going to the supermarket, if you're going out to eat on a regular basis, if you're going to the ball game, if you're having 30 people over to celebrate the Super Bowl tonight, get your bottom to church. Can I say bottom in church? Is that okay? It just came out. I believe it was Holy Spirit guided. I'm not sure. Listen, I'm just saying we, we've seen, and, and listen, I've been on the phones with people that probably... Even if there was just the flu going around, they needed to stay home. But it's been two years. I'm not a scientist. I'm not your doctor. This is not medical advice. <laughs> but I am your pastor, and I will tell you how important fellowship is. I will tell you how important it is for believers to come together in these last days to be with God's people. I'm pleading with some of you that are still staying home and you could be in church because I've seen you. Well, no, never mind. Um, because <clears throat> you're going other places and you're doing other things. And can I lovingly just say this? Can I lovingly remind you that I believe there's a greater risk for you to stay away from the people of God than coming to church? And I believe that there are uh, marriages that are struggling, that there are parents that are struggling because this koinonia is not happening the way that it needs to. And I don't know what we, what we can wait for. I mean, you can get jabbed with stuff. You can, you can wear things on your face. You can do all this stuff. And I don't, know, I don't know very many people who haven't gotten COVID. I don't, I don't know very many people who haven't gotten it twice. Some of you have gotten it five times. You're going for a medal. Can I, listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to make light of it. I know there's been hurt. I know there's been loss. I know there's been death. I know there's been all kinds of things. And there always has been and there always will be. There always has been and there always will be. And yet it is so vitally important that we as God's people come together in fellowship. It's gospel fellowship. It's not something that is a preferential thing that we can have or not have. Oh, it's fine. I'll just stay at home. And I was watching on the news the other night. I don't know if any of you saw this. It's probably not good to watch the news, but I did. And there was some guy who threw all of this. I think he actually started it before the pandemic and it grew a lot during the pandemic. He actually did a virtual world church. Like you can go and pick an a avatar and you can dress them up and you can watch them enter a building with people and they, they praise and they your avatar talks to other... People are like, what are you talking about, Pastor? What is an avatar? <laughs> I don't even know where you're going with this. No, this is all on the computer. And listen, I'm not diminishing the way people connect and the way people share the word of God. I know we've got all kinds of different opportunities I don't even know about and I, I probably will never be able to connect with. I'm just saying, hear me and I'll be done. There's no way that you can replace real people coming together with the real spirit of God in God's house, caring for one another, loving one another, seeing each other's faces and praising God together. 
and we're called to this. We're called to this, and we shouldn't dismiss it easily. We shouldn't marginalize it. And I do feel this. I feel many Christians now out of convenience are not gathering together. They've gotten used to not coming. They've gotten used to only coming once every so often. And I'm just telling you, God knows. God knows. And, and it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to stand before him and make an excuse when you know in your heart, I need to be in fellowship with the believers. I need to be in fellowship. All right, next verse. He's moving on. Good. All right. <laughs> Acts chapter number two, we saw this fellowship, this koinonia was so central to the people of God in the early church. It's, it's necessary. We're looking at the fact that gospel fellowship is provided by God. He's called us to it. He provides for it. The church is a major way that he provides gospel fellowship for us. I want us to see the warnings about improper fellowship. Notice with me 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14. The verses on the screen. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? This thing of fellowship can be strained by sin. This thing of fellowship can be broken and killed by the presence of sin in our life. And the warning is, is that we should not be yoked up, that we should not be connected in an intimate way together with people who are not part of the gospel fellowship. And I, I preach this to young people all the time. Pray and wait for God's best for your life. Make sure that that person loves God, lives for God, wants to serve God, wants to repent of sin, wants to move forward in God's grace, wants to live for the Lord. You have no business dating, marrying, getting engaged to a person who doesn't know Jesus if you're a believer. Amen. Pastor, that sounds mean and exclusive. No, it's protective and it's a command from God. Hey, listen, in my ministry, I've sat across the desk from so many couples that they fell in love. And it wasn't love because they didn't know anything about each other's relationship with God. And one was saved and one wasn't, or, or one was a believer that was on fire for the Lord and one was a carnal believer and they don't agree on parenting and they don't agree on, on, on coming to church and they don't agree on living their life for the Lord and they come together and there's bickering and there's strife and there's heartache and how do we keep from having a divorce, pastor, and what can we do? How can we save our marriage? And it's not that that is beyond the grace of God. How many of you are glad that God's grace can cover everything? But why don't we listen to the warnings of God? Why don't we understand that it's important who we decide to have koinonia with, fellowship, walking through life together with? It's vitally important. And the command is that we should not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. In fact, we understand in the church of Corinth that there were the, these things called church discipline. It's a foreign concept to much of church today. We don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to confront sin. We don't want to deal with issues that exist. But when there is open sin, and everybody has sin. How many of you know we're all sinners? We all need the grace of God. But unrepentant, open sin in the church has to be confronted, has to be dealt with, has to be, uh, in love, addressed. But it has to be addressed. And in the church of Corinth, we had a young man who had taken his stepmother and had an uh, incestuous relationship with her. Outside of marriage, they were in a relationship, and it was known in the church, and it had been revealed, and, 
And the Apostle Paul says, your church is unhealthy because you're not dealing with this issue that's open and known, and you need to deal with it, and you need to call people to repentance. And that's not a hateful thing. That's a loving thing. Hey, how many of you, if your children were running around in traffic with a knife, you'd at least stop them from doing one of those things? (laughs) And if I love you, as your pastor, and it's revealed that you're in open sin. Listen, there's no room for that in fellowship. You must repent. You must repent of your sin. You must get it right before God. You must turn from that sin. And that's how you have a healthy church. Well, pastor, you're never going to have a big church if you preach like that. Well, that's fine with me. Because I want you to be healthy in the Lord. I want you to be in true fellowship. I want you to be in true koinonia. I don't want you pretending and playing games with God. Maybe you're not saved and maybe you need the grace of God in your life. And if you're never confronted on the fact that you're a sinner that needs God's grace and that that sin doesn't reveal to you that you need to move toward God and that you need to trust him as your savior, then, 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 then you're not going to experience the blessing and grace and fellowship of God in your life. We learn... That Jesus, that God provides gospel fellowship. It's all through him. It's all because of him. It's all connected to him and his truth. Now let's move on. We've seen that gospel relationship is provided by God. But I want you to see now how Paul reveals the joy of confident fellowship. You see, when we're in fellowship, when we're in gospel fellowship with other believers, we can have a confidence in that fellowship. We can have a closeness in that fellowship. Notice what Paul says in verse number 6 of Philippians 1. He says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So Paul was confident. He looked at the church of Philippi and he said, hey, you're not a church just playing games. You're not a church that's just showy. You're not a church that puts on a facade and just says a bunch of lovey-dovey things about God and your life is completely different when you live in the world. He says, no, you've proven yourself that God actually has begun a good work in you. And you might ask, well, what's that good work that's begun? And the good work that he begins in us is the work of salvation. By the way, how many of you are glad for that good work that he began in you? You see, that's what gospel fellowship does. The gospel is the good news that produces a good work. And that good work is begun in our life as we hear the gospel. And out of that good work, that salvation is worked out from our life so that others can see it. And Paul says, I can see it in you. I'm confident. There's some people that I've known in my life that they've said that they're believers, that they've said that they're Christians, that they've said that they've loved the Lord. But when I'm around them, I don't have that confidence. It's not that I'm judgy or that I have some list that they've got to match up to for me to consider that. But how many of you understand, if you're truly saved, there's just a natural presence of the Lord and his joy and his leadings and his desires that should just be springing from your life. You and I might not have it all figured out yet. In fact, the Apostle Paul didn't. He said, hey, I'm still pressing toward the mark. I'm still pressing toward the prize. I'm not saying you have to have it all figured out. I'm just saying there's a work that needs to have begun in you. And that work should be noticeable because it's producing fruit. Because it's producing the joy of the Lord. Because it's producing the effect of his presence in your life. And Paul was confident as he had this relationship with the church of Philippi that God indeed had begun that good work in their life. Do people look at your life and do they know that you're with Jesus? When people fellowship with you, does 
Do the things of Jesus come up? Do, 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 does a heart for his word noticeable? Are there things emanating from your life that show that you're in his presence? Paul said, I'm confident. And not only can we be confident when we see God's work in other people's lives, that we can have true, close gospel fellowship with them, but we know that they're headed in the same direction that we're headed in. Notice how Paul writes about this in verse number 7. Even as it is meet or right for me to think this of you. He says, hey, I'm convinced and I am so confident that God's begun a good work in you because you're actually connected with me in the direction that we're going in together for God. Notice how he intimates this there. Verse number seven, even as it is meet or right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. He says, even while I'm in prison, you're with me. You're giving to the ministry. You're praying for me. You're sending me goods for my needs. You're writing to me. You're praying for me. You're with me in this. We're going in the same direction. And that's the way a church should be. That's the way a family who's in fellowship with Christ should be. We should be going in the same direction. You know, when we're going in the same direction, that leaves little room for bickering and backbiting and gossip and, and sowing discord and having all the trauma that sometimes, unfortunately, churches go through as they split and fracture. And We've got to be going in the same direction. And it can't be Brian's direction. And it can't be Joe or Martha or Lisa or... It has to be his direction. And when we're in fellowship around him, then we go in his direction. And when we go in his direction together, we can have confidence as we step out by faith to accomplish the callings of God in our life. Hey, you wonder, why does my family seem aimless? Why does my family seem like it has no direction? Why does my family seem like we're not together? Why are we so far apart? Well, let me ask you a question. Who's running your home? Don't look, at, don't look at your spouse, okay? That's not the answer. He should be running our home. That's where the confidence comes from. I'm not saying there's not responsibility as we come down into the callings of the husband and the wife. We've talked about those at length in different sermons that have been preached. But let me just say this. If God is not at the center of your home, you have a high chance of being aimless and purposeless and kids are going here and parents are going here and we're not going in the same direction. Hey, get going in the direction towards God together. When's the last time, Dad, that you brought the family together and said, these are our spiritual goals this year and we're going to pray over them and we're going to see God work in this way. And Maybe there's not 20 of them, but maybe there's three we can work on this year. Maybe there's one we can work on this year. But we're heading in this direction and you know, we're going to be faithful to God in his word and we're going to be faithful to God in church and we're going to be faithful to God serving him and we're going to make our schedules and our agendas, we're going to make those center around. I meet families and man, they're headed this way. and Man, husbands and wives are catching each other coming and going. There's this practice and there's this event and there's this party and there's this thing. Whoa, 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 whoa. Where are you guys? Calm down, take a deep breath and head towards God. Let, let him be first in your life. And then all these other things will be added unto you. And Paul says, I can see that his work has begun in you. And I can see that it's being fleshed out of your life because you're with me. We're going in the same direction. I may be in a prison and you may be in a church in Philippi, but we're all have the same target and we are partakers together of the grace of God. What a blessing it is to have that kind of confidence in the gospel fellowship that you have with other people. 
Lastly, this morning, and we'll be done, we see in our passage the joy of genuine fellowship. We've seen that gospel fellowship begins with God and is provided for by God. We see the joy of confident gospel fellowship. Now let's look at the joy of genuine gospel fellowship. I love this verse 8 that Paul writes. It's beautiful. For God is my record. In other words, he's swearing on the Bible, so to speak. I, I swear to God. God. God's my record. God's my witness. And notice what he says. How greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. A couple things I want us to notice about this genuine fellowship that Paul has with this church. It's not a put on. It's not a farce. It's not Paul just trying to say some good words so he can extract something from this church. How many of you have ever been flattered before? Like you walk into a department store or a car lot or, you know, you're going to go buy something big and you walk in and all of a sudden somebody's telling you how nice you look and how smart you are and butter in that bread, you know. And sometimes we can tell those relationships aren't genuine. I know I'm not that smart. I know I'm not that good looking. You're lying to me, right? And, and we sense that there's something not genuine about this transaction that's taking place. They're telling me things I want to hear so that they can extract something from me. But Paul, as he writes to the church of Philippi, he's not writing with ill intentions. He's not writing so he can have personal benefit. He writes and he uses very strong language to convey the depth of fellowship he feels for this church. In fact, he uses a word that we often count as a negative word. This phrase where he says that I long to be with you. I long after you. It's the same understanding as the word lust. And when we think of lust, we often think of it in a negative context. But lust is only negative when we lust after things that are not right. When we lust after the things of the world, the lust of the flesh is the complete terminology in Scripture when it's talking about a negative lust. But even the Spirit of God lusts. The Bible tells us that the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh over us. How many of you are glad that the spirit of God wants us? And the spirit of God, if we'll access it and we'll walk in it, we'll battle the flesh all day because the spirit of God lusts to have us and to fill us and to control us. In that very same way, Paul lusts after this church. He longs for them. He aches for them. He wants to be with them. He wants to minister to them. This is a real deal, genuine relationship. This is real, deep fellowship. And we see that this fellowship is predicated not on his own willful desires, but on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the context of this lust that he has for this church. Notice with me here in verse number eight. I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. You see, his desire for this church comes from Jesus, not from his own motivations. He wants them to grow. He wants them to be pure. He wants them to be knowledgeable in the things of God. He wants them to continue to have a heart for missions. He wants them to continue to be a light and salt where they're at for Jesus. 
He lusts for that for them. That doesn't come from his own vain motivations. It comes from the person of Christ. So again, we're talking about gospel-centered fellowship. Fellowship that's not built on our personal desires. Uh, Fellowship that's not built on our personal selfishness. But fellowship that's directly connected to the person of Jesus Christ. Hey, what if every marriage we longed for each other in the bowels of Christ? Now, I, I understand that we need to have personal relationship as well. But man, if we can get our selfishness out of that and we can bring God's love into that, what a beautiful relationship that can be. What a beautiful relationship that can be between parents and children. What a beautiful relationship and fellowship that can be between church members if it's motivated by the love of Christ. So we find Paul encourages this church concerning this gospel fellowship. Can I ask you a question this morning? How are your relationships? How is your fellowship? What do you find yourself fellowshipping with? Is it mostly worldly things and worldly people and worldly desires and fleshly lusts? Or are you connecting in fellowship to those who are centered in the gospel? Those who are going to help you grow in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are going to be there for you even if you're in a prison cell. Praying for you. Tending to you, caring for you. I'm so glad that we can have fellowship with our Heavenly Father because of Jesus. And I'm so glad that we can have fellowship together because of Jesus.